Hello and welcome to another edition of the podcast where we look back on the cartoons and movies and TV show and whatnot of our youth to see if it's still worth a damn. Or not. Or not, which is far too often the case. I am Sean. And I'm Chris. And this is Childhood Remastered. Imagine it's 1989 and you're watching Nickelodeon. You've just finished watching an episode of Double Dare, and instead of commercials, you're treated to a quick scene of a young red-headed boy who tells you a story. Sometimes it's about how his brother is still frozen from a game of freeze tag the day before. Other times it's about what he and his friends would do for a dollar, or about his terrible summer job mowing lawns along Route 34. As quickly as it arrived, the odd little story is over, and you're back watching ads for toys or cartoons or whatever else Nickelodeon was trying to sell. What was that? Was that a show? Did you imagine it? Well, actually what you witnessed was the genesis of a new show that would formally debut two years later as a handful of 24-minute specials, which then spawned another three seasons of brotherly goodness. That show was The Adventures of Pete and Pete. Very quickly, this is an American comedy TV series airing on Nickelodeon with three seasons and 34 episodes plus five specials and 16 shorts. Of course, those specials are combined shorts. Uh, did you watch this when you were a kid? I did. And you know, when I was, when I was preparing to, to rewatch this, what I seem to remember the show being really short. So I thought, oh, watching this isn't going to be a big deal. Uh, it wasn't going to take a whole lot of time because I remembered those quick little shorts from 1989. It, they, they were so, they were like a minute long. It was, uh, it, it reminded me of the uh, Clone Wars shorts that they put on Cartoon Network uh, before they actually created the Clone War shows, that that they were you know a minute to two minutes long. They involved like a really quick story that was told very very rapidly, and then it was gone. And then it went back to whatever the uh, you know whatever other show they were. They they debuted as like interstitials between shows in the commercial time. So that's what I remembered. There are certain episodes that I totally remember watching, uh, like the one of the ones that we watched with the road trip. Um, I remember the freeze tag one. I remember an episode where they all, uh, where uh, Little Pete tried to stay up for like some record for like eleven days or something with his friends. Uh, I remembered a couple of the more later episodes that had Michelle Trachtenberg in it as a little girl. So I totally remembered this show. I watched it probably all through the '90s because it was on reruns a lot. It was so. It it, it has a very special place in my heart. Uh, because I remember it being funny and I remember enjoying watching it. And I remember growing with it as the characters grew because they started out as fairly young kids in 1989. And then they grew into like high school kids by the end of the, by the end of the 90s or by, you know, mid nineties. But by, as I yeah. was watching well, it, well, the three seasons were sort of spread out widely between 91 to 96. Mm -hmm. And so there were three seasons really spread out over about five years. And yeah. that's why, when you watch the first season and then you watch the last season, it's such a big age difference. Yeah. Especially in the older Pete. Because mm -hmm. 
I mean, essentially, he went from like ten or eleven years, 11 years old. old to like a, you know sixteen year old kid. Yeah, and so you you had this this pretty big age jump, and not just for him, but the some of the other characters that were his friend or in his uh, age group. Yeah, did you watch the show? I did, but I uh, so I remember that there were shorts, and then I remember that they had full blown episodes, and I. I actually have very distinct memories of specific episodes mm-hmm. and lines from the show. Don't ask me why I remember that <laughs> 20 plus years later, but I, I do. And in fact, two of the episodes that we watched for our homework were episodes that I picked specifically because I had very distinct memories of them. And I didn't, when I picked them, I was like, I want this episode and I want this episode. And I didn't even look up like what they were rated or anything else until I already picked them. And thankfully, it yeah. turns out that the show's highly rated all across the board. Yeah. So it wouldn't have mattered. <laughs> Everything is is got pretty high ratings. So uh, I guess we sort of lucked out. But so the episodes that we watched are... The highest rated episode is Saturday, Season 3, Episode 13, at a 9.2. Time Tunnel, Season 2, Episode 5, at a 9.1. And then my two picks, which are Field of Pete, Season 2, Episode 2, which is an 8.4. King of the Road, which is the very first episode, at an 8.2. And I put in here a bonus that's a, a lowest rated. It sort of is an episode, but it's not really because it's a special. Yeah, it's, and it's one rated of the... seven point eight, the Valentine's Day Massacre. Yeah, it's one of the original five specials that debuted in ninety one. And if you are trying to find these online, sometimes we were talking about this just before we started recording. Some some sites, some uh, places where you can get these list the specials as part of season one, so it screws up the numbering. King of the Road is actually the first official episode of the series that's not a special, but you might find the Valentine's Day Massacre as season one, episode one, just because that's the way that they numbered it. It is a little weird, but if you sort of navigate through it, you can find what you're looking for. I I just, I had sort of a terrible time trying to find the correct episodes and, and I ended up having enough of a problem that I ended up having to finish one of the episodes before we recorded. Actually. Yeah. Go by, go by the names of the episodes. That's yeah, how I found yeah. them. So one of the cool things about this show is the show introduced, the show had a big, it, it was big on music. I mean, a lot of people, I think one of the most memorable parts of the show is the intro song. And you heard it played at the beginning of this episode. And one of the things that I was reading is that the the lyrics to the intro song are very hard to decipher because it's sort of that that early nineties. Yeah, I read that just, too. That early nineties just sort of mumble singing that you would get in some some of the grunge bands where you know. So there's nothing bad in the lyrics, but other than the the uh, the uh, theme music, the show also introduced kids to a lot of these big name rock stars. Well, the would... house band for the show was Polaris. Yeah. I mean, so that's the one who did the theme music, right? Well, okay. So oh, they did the They did the, like the, the music just in the episodes. Yeah. So they were the sort of house bands. So all the musical interludes in the middle were, were them, mm-hmm. which is crazy. But they, you know, the Pixies, you know, were, were, were part of the, the musical backdrop of the show. Iggy Pop and Debbie Harry. Actually, yeah. they both had guest appearances on the show. Yeah, so did so did Michael Stipe of R.E.M. He played in, in one of the episodes. Iggy Pop had a fairly recurring role. Actually, as... Michael Stipe's character reoccurred several times, too. <sighs> yeah. So, uh, Steve Buscemi had a reoccurring character uh, role on the show. And, and there are some... 
other characters that they were sort of side characters, like like the barber in the the last episode that we watched. Yeah, and in Saturday, the barber is played by J.K. Simmons, who is easily the most famous person to have been. Well, no, I won't say he's the most famous because maybe Steve Buscemi or Iggy Pop might be the most famous, but but he's the most uh, award winningest, award winningest actor because he has an Oscar. Yeah, he so does. Pete and Pete. Had a Oscar winner pre-winning an Oscar. Yeah, and and there are other characters too. Like uh, the the bully is Rick Gomez, who has actually done a lot of stuff that, like, if you've ever seen Band of Brothers, he's George Luz. I, I love Band of Brothers. I'm actually in the middle of rewatching it right now. You know, um, I, but he's been in a ton of stuff. I love his character's name, and I want to. I, I want to. I want to work his character's name into something that I do, whether whether it's a video game or. Or something. His character's name is Endless Mike. And I read a couple theories of why he's called Endless Mike. And one is that he's repeated the same grade so many times that he's... That's how he got the name. Because he's Endless Mike. He never goes away. (laughs) I kind of like that one. Yeah. And he... Okay. So if we're going to jump into that really quickly. Like he's sort of a weird character. Because he's both a bully as well as like a sort of partner. Yeah. For the Pete's. Yeah. Like he bullies them and he bullies everybody else. But he also like helps people out, and he yeah he's just he's, he's a, a very, weird he's a weird character he's a weird character. But let's but let's go rate, let's let's start at the start and then move right along. Yeah, sure. Uh, the show was created by Will McRobb and Chris Viscardi, and uh, Will had also produced the critically acclaimed Amazon animated series Danger and Eggs. And Will McRobb also worked on Doug and Ren and Stimpy for Nickelodeon, and they and, both worked on the Alvin and the Chipmunks movie, the live action that. Came out a few years ago. Oh, that's unfortunate. It's not that bad. I've seen worse. I've seen worse. Now, we talked about the music in the show. And uh, like I said, the the show featured a lot of, at the time, and really still, big name music acts. Uh, just as characters. Uh, they played certain characters in the show. They featured their music. Uh, show or Bands like Luscious Jackson, Nice, Drop 19s. Race Car Chug, Poi Dog Pondering, Sid Straw, The Apples in Stereo. And if you don't know who these bands are, that's okay. Because these are... The 90s was a time of like everybody had a band. Yeah. And everybody's band was, quote, making it big. Because they all sort of sounded just like each other. And that's kind of a good way to describe a lot of these. The Pixies, by the way, I was wrong. I I was remembering what I had read incorrectly. They tried to use a Pixies song, but they couldn't get the rights to it. But at any rate... I feel like the music for the show is so quintessentially early 90s. Oh, yeah. It's just, you know, when I hear that soundtrack, it doesn't even make me think of Pete and Pete. It just makes me think of the 90s. Yeah. You know, I I, I always say that the early 90s specifically is, it has, I think, some of the worst fashion it, some it, of the best music. Some of the worst fashion, some of the best music, and also some of the worst music. That's true. And that's why it's so weird because the 90s was like this dichotomy between like Jinko jeans. Yeah. And like and some of that like some of that like day glow nonsense was still around, like that those yeah. super bright neon colors. Yeah, like in the very early 90s. Yeah, those that's what I'm talking That's what I'm talking about. Like yeah. the ver- like 90 90 to 93. You've got yeah. like those bright bright colors. You've got baggy like parachute shoot pants because it was trailing towards the end of the 80s you have 
the emerges well, those parachute pants then opened up at the bottom when we got those jinko jeans yeah. the labor pants so yeah and then and then you have uh you have the emergence of of uh grunge rock and sort of that like college rock a little bit yeah grunge rock like hit hard in like 91 92 yeah but before that it was all like hair metal and so like there's this weird sort of transition where all these hair metal bands we're trying to make it big and it was the height of hair metal and Guns N' Roses and all of this. And then all of a sudden it's like, nope, F you. We're just going to wear torn jeans and scream in the mic all on heroin. Flannel. And it's, yeah, and flannel <laughs> everywhere. And, it, and, and, and it's like it went from Motley Crue to Soundgarden like overnight. Yeah. So it, it's the, the music from this like very much sort of takes you back to that. Yeah. It's, it's crazy how music can take you back to a time. If you remember, if you remember, like if you were cognizant around a time and you were cognizant of the music, the music will bring you right back to that time. It's so weird how that works. Makes you just think yeah. of like grade school again. And the fact, and I will say that the, the, the fashion, like the, all of the outfits, like, they weren't caricatures of anything. No. So you know how, how sometimes you'll go back and you'll watch something from like 30 years or 40 years ago and you're like, oh, that feels like it's like a care like a caricature Saturday of itself. Night, Saturday Night Fever disco or something. Yeah, and, and like even when you watch Saturday Night Fever, yeah, a lot of people dress like that, but not everybody did. Yeah. So, but this was like, it was sort of like the every kid. Yeah. And so it was a really, I feel like, good snapshot of like, this is what... This is... The majority of people were just dressing yeah, like Yeah, teens and preteens were dressing like this. Yeah, and I thought it was really accurate. It was it was a, they did a, a really good job in a in a way I don't think that they were expecting to get time capsule. No, I don't think so. You know so what either. I mean? Well, since we're talking about the kids, let's jump into the cast. Uh the the main focus of this show is the two Pete brothers, the two Wrigley brothers. Um Pete Big Pete Wrigley and Little Pete Wrigley. So Big Pete Wrigley was played by Michael Morona. And he was in Home Alone 1 and 2 as Jeff McAllister. Uh, you can't miss him. Big red-headed guy. Uh, he had a widely successful series of commercials where he played a slacker employee named Stuart. And he was yeah. he was also in a short... It was for Ameritrade, I think. Yes. Yeah. So he was also in a short called The Final Days that was... You never heard of it. I had I, you watch it before, right yeah. before we recorded. I had never heard of it. It was a it was a short that was played at the White House Correspondents' Dinner... In 2000. In 2000, the final days of Bill Clinton's presidency. And it, it showcased what he was doing in his lame duck year. And it was essentially just walking around the... Uh, it's the, actually genius when you yeah. think about it. Because what it is, is it pokes fun actually at the press court and the media... In their portrayal of him as a lame duck president. And what they did was is they they took the idea and they're just like, we're going to make him the truest lame duck ever. Yeah. So it shows his schedule like trimming the hedges and washing the car and kicking vending machines and just like, yeah. mo- like moping around. And it's it's really actually kind of smart. But Marona had a had a character that was on it that helped him like shop on eBay and exactly. a bunch of like weird stuff. He also worked in the electrical department as an electrician for movies like Sex in the City and Be Kind Rewind. I love that movie, Be Kind Rewind. That, like the first time I saw it, that movie just just like it made me so happy. The the fake Ghostbuster thing, I I lost I lost it. Sorry, that's it's like okay. a side uh, just a side thing. Yeah. Let, the next Pete is Little Pete because we have Big Pete and Little Pete. So Little Pete Wrigley is Danny Tamborelli, and he was actually in the TV series The Babysitters Club. And 
He was the original voice of Arnold for the Magic School Bus. So if you remember watching the Magic School Bus when you were a kid, he was in it and he was Arnold. He actually also had a character on the Mighty Ducks, the the, the first movie. I mm-hmm. don't remember if he was in the second one or not. I don't remember either. I don't I don't either. But he was on all that. And I do TV remember show, that. Uh, Figure It Out. He was a big character on Figure It Out, which was like a, a kid's game show on yes. Nickelodeon. And he was known for these sort of like... Uh, over-the-top, exaggerated uh, responses and always flipping his hair when he got covered in slime and stuff. Yeah. And they, the both of the Peets now have a podcast. I'm not, like, promoting their show or anything, but they have a podcast called The Adventures of Danny and Mike. And so they, they actually uh, have a show together. I don't think it's necessarily huge, but they, they have a, a decent following, so. Yeah. And if we're going by the, if we're going by the cast as their... As called out in, as, in the beginning. Yeah, That's why I added it in here yeah, at the last minute. As the cast is introduced in the in the intro to the show, the next character is Petunia. Petunia is a tattoo on Little Pete's forearm. Uh, it's a woman in a red dress, and he frequently makes her dance by flexing his arm. And and uh, in one of the episodes that we watched, she is uh, she is tortured by one of the bullies, one of the Pete's enemies. Um, they they draw. Uh, goatee on her and draw all over her originally uh, it was explained in one of the original shorts that he got the tattoo as a mother's day present for his mom it was actually supposed to be uh, like a present for his mom him getting that tattoo Uh, she she hates it at first and punishes him but she ultimately forgives him and comes to live with the fact that he has a tattoo he actually has a second tattoo on his back and uh, it's a sail. It's a it's a Sailing sailboat. Ship. Yeah, it's a sailboat. I I like so so. Did you notice that the sort of dichotomy between the two brothers, the older Pete, is a sort of everyman like average kid. He's straight laced and yeah. yeah. He, I mean, not straight laced, but like he's like you know what it is. He's he's the awkward teen who's got a crush on a girl mm-hmm. and like and all this just like normal stuff. And the younger Pete is just crazy. Yeah. Like I mean, think about it. He's got a tattoo. He's like a ten year old kid with a tattoo. Well, and like it. He he's like the neighborhood like master of trash talker. He can travel through time and all yeah. this is crazy stuff. Well, Pete, Big Pete. Older Pete, uh, he actually has a lot of friends that are his age, so he acts like a normal kid. Little Pete seems to get along more with adults. Eventually, he gets a bunch of friends that are around his age. Yeah. But initially, he's more friends. He he has more friends who are adults, or at least acquaintances, associates that are that are adults, and it seems like he gets along with them better. So yeah. he he is an odd character. He seems to be older than he than he portrays himself to be. Yeah. Now, the next character is Joyce, their mom, played by Judy Graff. And she was in, and I kid you not, Batteries Not Included, and Frankenhooker. <laughs> Outside of that, I can't find too much uh, as far as her bio goes. But she does have her own character, and it is the plate in her head that uh, can pick up radio stations. And in the case of Little Pete's Wart Radio, it can also broadcast them. Yeah. And, and she's a sort of weird character too it's like they're all caricatures of themselves except for older pete Mm -hmm. they're all totally crazy except for older pete the dad don wrigley is played by hardy rawls and he was the maytag repairman in some of the commercials but otherwise he hasn't done too much yeah my my, uh, uh as i was watching this last night kathy was watching and she was like hey isn't that like he looks like another actor who I can't remember who was on uh, the Drew Carey show. He was Mimi's husband. 
And oh, the yes. same the same kind of looking guy that's bald. Yeah. Did you look up who that was? I didn't. It's not him though. Because okay. I, I, I looked up what the, I looked up what uh, Hardy Rawls did, and he didn't do any of that stuff. He was also in uh, Crazy Stupid Love as the father of the teenage girl who's obsessed with Steve oh, Carell's yeah, character. Right. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I had a little I had a little uh, jaunt to figure out if if that was the same. You're guy. like just have to double check. The next character is Ellen Josephine Hickel, which is older Pete's best friend and crush. Well, the way he describes her all the time is she's a girl. She's a friend, but she's not a girlfriend. But then that changes a couple of times because you can see that the two of them have feelings for each other. I think what it is is that it, the show starts off in the first season like very platonic. But by the but when they get to the third season, they the characters are decidedly older. They're now in high school. Yeah. And they're sorting out feelings and they like each other. Well, it's funny because in the in the Valentine's Day Massacre episode that we watched, which was the first short where they actually I mean it's the first short, so it's the first chance for them to actually delve into the characters and give them any kind which of is depth. Done in 1991. 90 yeah, 19 yeah, 1991. In that episode, Ellen is jealous that Pete is has a crush on the teacher. Right. And by the end of it, she sort of gets with the bully to almost make him feel jealous. So I think there's yeah. always there's always been feelings there. They just yeah. didn't know how to like they didn't know how to feel ways about stuff. They didn't know what to do with those feelings. Yeah. I I will say that I uh I I sort of related to some of that because I I think a lot of I think I don't know, did you have a did you have a well? You went to an all boys Catholic school, so I guess it wasn't really this. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't have any. Uh, I didn't so, have any existential uh, relationship crises when I, I was in high school. I went to public school, and and I had a couple of girls at different times that I had crushes on, and I feel like this is like a pretty normal thing where you know you're a guy, and then you have these girls, and you be or a girl, and you become their friend, and then and you don't start off becoming their friend to like try to go out with them or whatever, but. But then feelings happen and you don't know what to do with them. And then you get weird and awkward because yeah. you're weird and awkward and they're weird and awkward. And then you probably like each other and nothing happens out of it. Yeah. Or it does. And then it destroys everything. It's hard, I think, for young boys. By young boys, I mean like 12 to 18. 38. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard for it's hard for uh, males to look at a relationship with a female where you're where you get along and you're friendly and you enjoy each other's company and not go to the next step of I like her. I think that's difficult for I probably I was being facetious, but probably more younger younger yeah uh, okay when you're when you're going through puberty it's it's like and like your early adult years yeah like you're you're essentially you would look because I went through the same thing. you look at this person who's supposed to be your friend and the only difference between that person, and a girlfriend is a girlfriend you have do, physical stuff. You have physical a physical relationship with normally. Yeah. So I could see the You say normally as if like you would have a girlfriend that there's no physical stuff. I don't know. I'm sure there's some people out there that choose to wait and do nothing until marriage or at least just barely do anything. I'm I know so there's sorry. people out there. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> but uh, I can it's it sort of and, and you see this relationship uh progress as as the uh as the show goes on where they you know they they express feelings for each other in different ways and then at and by the time uh we get to one of the episodes uh season the, three episode five the, i think the time travel episode then pete 
Big Pete explicitly says, I want to go on a date with you. Like an actual real and date. And she says yes. And she's super stoked on it. And it's super awkward and it falls apart. But then they're like, you know, I let, I just want to travel back in time and we just be friends. And she says, maybe that's what we were always meant to be. But then it ends with her like kissing him on the cheek and then giving him a full on mouth to mouth kiss. And then looking like they had a moment. And then they're like, and then they part ways. Yeah. Uh, I, you know what it is? Is it's not that they, it's not that she wanted to go back in time or he wanted to go back in time. I, I what I got from it was, is they both still liked each other, but they had no idea what to do with it, and it got too awkward, and they wanted to erase the awkward. Yeah, and, and I think they did. I get that. I totally get that. A hundred percent, I get that. Let's pretend this never happened. But then you can't. <laughs> yeah. But then you can't because it's out there and yeah. it's destroyed everything. By the way, she's played. By, Ellen is played by Allison Finelli, who actually went on to she went on to graduate from Dartmouth for her undergrad, and then became a PA. And then, as of 2012, apparently she's a pediatric surgeon. You know, you know what this reminded me of. So the the uh, the the love interest of the the main character, because I would argue that Big Pete is the main character because he's the narrator. Well, so- in the initial script. Of the show, it was supposed to be a kid named Pete, and then his dog was also named Pete. Yeah. And it was supposed to be Pete and Pete, and they changed it to be a a kid named Pete and his little brother, because they realized a kid and his dog would not be that interesting. Nobody wanted to watch Lassie 2.0. Yeah. So what what I was likening this to is, so you have the main character, who is a young high school-aged boy, who has his love interest slash kind of best friend, and... The, the actress that plays the love interest goes on to become a very successful, like scientifically minded professional. It reminded me of the Wonder Years, how Danica McKellar went oh, on to yeah. become a mathematician and get a PhD and then write a bunch of books on math and, and become this like this icon for women in science. Like it, it, it sort of reminded me of the same like path that, that both actresses sort of yeah. took. I mean, it's, it's super cool. I yeah. Grads to her because that's, that's hard work. Even PA school is rough. Yeah. So the next character is Artie, the, the strongest, strongest man in the world. In the world. Uh, Artie is played by Toby Huss, and he's actually the character of Artie is Little Pete's personal superhero. He he's friends with Little Pete. He teaches him lessons. He's around because Little Pete gets picked on a lot by by bullies, and he's there to sort of like build up Little Pete's confidence and make him a stronger uh, person. You never really know if, if, uh, if Artie is just a crazy person who lives in town or if he's actually like a quote unquote superhero or what, he's just sort of a, a, a Looney Tune that dresses in red pants and a striped red and blue long sleeve shirt. And in the intro wrestles with a bowling ball and does all kinds of crazy stuff. He's super crazy. And, and I had no idea that he's the voice of, Con, uh, I'm not going to bother to say his last name, and Cotton Hill from King of the Hill. <laughs> I had no idea that that was his voice. I love Hello, those, Hank's wife. I love those characters. <laughs> I, you know what? You know what it is? I just I just freaking love King of the Hill. Yeah. It's it's one of my most favorite shows of all po- of like of all time. And, and then apparently it was also Big Mike from Reno 911 and Stumpy from Carnival. So. The, the character 
in and, and I remember this episode. Uh, the character only lasted two seasons. Artie did, and at the 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 season finale of uh, season of two? season two, it was a two parter episode where in the first part Artie is driven away by by uh, Big Pete's or by the Pete's dad. He's driven out of town, and uh, Pete is having a confrontation with a bully named Papercut. And uh, by the time the episode ends. Artie is brought back to the town because they the dad realizes that he made a mistake in driving him away because he's friends with Pete and, and little Pete. And he's good and, for his kids. And he's good for his kids. So he brings him back and Artie gets back in time to see little Pete stand up to paper cut. And I remember that scene. I remember it's it's like a tearful goodbye. Once once Artie realizes that Pete, little Pete has has enough like self-confidence to stand up to bullies on his own. He realizes that it's, it's like Mary Poppins. He realizes that, that his job is finished with little Pete and he has to go on and find another little boy who needs a superhero. So he like leaves the show and it's like a real tearful goodbye. Like, cause essentially the two of them were best friends and Artie's like, well, I gotta go now. There's another little boy out there that needs my help. And then he goes on to molest another child. But <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I mean, it's really heartfelt. It's just kind of weird in context later. But Artie is a he's an interesting he's an interesting character. Yeah, I always liked him as a kid. Mm-hmm. I, as an adult, I started to think: Is he mentally deficient, <laughs> or is he a pedophile? Yeah, uh, or is he both? But as a kid, I was like, oh, this is like a, he's a cool character and I liked him. He was awesome. Yeah. But yeah, as an adult, you look at him maybe through different glasses, I yep. guess. Now, the next character is actually uh, Little Pete's friend. And she comes in season three to replace Artie. Yes. And her name is Nona Mecklenburg. And it's Michelle Trachenberg, mm. who uh, was Harriet the Spy and she was Dawn Summers in Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Georgina Sparks in Gossip Girl. She was also in uh, Euro Trip. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's right. She was. Yeah. Yeah. Man, she she wound up being a babe. Yep. And we mentioned earlier about Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi plays Ellen's dad, Phil Hickle. And uh, I'm not going to go all the way down the rabbit hole on Steve Buscemi, but his character also is Big Pete's guidance counselor. Yeah, and I think he and... I think it was the enemy uh, once uh, when they were kids of Pete's dad. Yeah, they had like a prank war. Yeah, something like, like when that. they were kids or something. That that spilled over into adulthood in yeah. one episode where, where Pete's... Where, where dad and Ellen's dad... See, like you remember all these episodes. Yeah. And it's been how long? Yeah, no, I... It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, the last character is uh, James Mecklenburg, who is known as Father, and he is played by Iggy Pop. We last talked about him on Rock and Rule, actually, so I don't know if we should go down into Icky Pop's history, but but it's crazy that we have Icky Pop, and yeah, Steve Buscemi, yeah, and he and, as in recurring the, characters, yeah. In the show, uh, the character uh, James Mecklenburg is afraid of Artie. He thinks he's weird, and he tries to avoid him, and he hates Endless Mike, who we talked about earlier, uh, the 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 bully in one of the episodes that is on Halloween. There's a he goes around, Endless Mike goes around trying to ruin Halloween for everybody for some unknown reason. And uh, and he gets into a confrontation with uh, Mr. Mecklenburg. So with that said, uh, let's talk about the show really quick. Like we said in the intro, this show 
starting with the shorts in 89 and moving on into the specials in 91 and then ultimately the series in 93 the the show is about the adventures of the two brothers pete and pete and the, obviously the show is called the adventures of pete and pete and it, it's things that happen during uh during the day during school so before we move on to the sh- what the actual show was about one character that i just remembered was in this show when i was doing some research last night after i had watched it adam west was in this show yeah, I saw that in the IMDb, and I did not remember that at all. Yeah, he played he played the uh, the the school principal of the Pete's school, the high school, I think. He was the principal there, and he was involved, I think, in one episode of of the show. But crazy that that he was in that show. There's, I mean, there's a ton though. I mean, you had like BB Newworth, who we mentioned on Freakazoid. Actually, she had a, like a minor character role. Yeah. But like LL Cool J and like Patty Hearst, Patricia Hearst was in the was in the show. Yeah, what? it's Alicia Keys. Actually, was a was a young unknown student at the time in one of the episodes. Yeah, I mean, there was a ton, just a ton of like rando people in this show. Yeah, that that I completely forgot about were even in this at all. Yeah, well, let's talk about the show really quick. Um, starting with the shorts, the you know the minute two minute long shorts in 1989, moving on to the specials in 1991, and then ultimately the series starting in '93. The show was really just about. I mean. I feel at its heart, the show was about the relationship that Pete and Pete had with each other because they were best friends. They were best friends and, and with brothers. their family and with their family because they were a weird family and they they sort of reveled in their weirdness. Yeah. And in, in the first episode, in the King of the Road episode, you, you get that feeling because at a certain point in the episode towards the end uh, where they're having this sort of road battle with the other King of the road uh, that Pete, big Pete says something along the lines of, we have to do this our way, the Wrigley way. We're not normal. We're Wrigley's. And that's sort of the, that's sort of the, uh, the, the theme of the show, whether it's like, nothing is normal in this town. It's all, it's, it's sort of caricatures. You don't actually know where they live. It's uh, what's the name of the town that they live in. The town is Wellsville, and you actually don't know what the state is because they never imply it. I think on the on the uh, license plate, it's uh, the Sideburn State. Uh, it's it's implied that it's kind of New York based on certain things. Like in one episode, Pete's dad run or he goes to can he goes four hours north to Canada to like get rid of his bowling ball or something. And, uh, but it's, it takes on the, the town takes on a sort of Springfield in the world of the Simpsons, a sort of Springfield vibe, because it's sort of an any town USA where it's not really distinctly anywhere. So you can, you can create these caricatures and, and run with them. I liked that first episode. I know it's not, it's like an eight point something. That's still pretty high. It's still pretty high. I had a lot of memories of that because my family did long road trips. We did a long road trip, like a really long one. And I really, I liked the idea of the further, because I think it's totally true. Oh yeah. The the further out the dad's uh, elbow is, is a, is a determining factor on the dad's confidence in his skill set as a, as a road warrior. Yeah. That's, that's one of my distinct memories from this episode is that line where he has his elbow out really far and he says, Oh, that's, that's showing that he's really, uh, he's really, really confident. And then the scene where after he meets the other king of the road where his elbows like 
inching its way in. It's like barely out yeah. the window. Yeah, Did I, you recognize who was playing the other King of the Road? Yeah, I, I totally recognized who it was. But it's I, uh, Joff Pearson, who uh, he's actually had a bunch of stuff from like Ryan's Hope to 24. Yeah, um, he was President Keeler on 24. And I think right now he's in, a, what is that show? Designated Survivor. Yeah. But he had his own TV show in, in the 1990s called Unhappily Ever After, yeah. where it was he a talked com- to a stuffed animal yeah. that was voiced by Bobcat Goldthwaite. Yeah, the show, 90s were a crazy time. That for show television. was a complete ripoff of Married with Children. Oh, it totally was. Like, but combined with Alf. Yeah. Because he talked to the stuffed animal that nobody else could talk to. So he yeah. was like out of his mind. He was also in Grace Under Fire. Yeah, yeah. He was in Grace Under Fire. I, I, I actually, I really like him. So Yeah, um, the, the, the show, it, it's it's episodic. Aside from the one episode that has a, that it's a two-parter, it's an episodic show that moves from day to day. Uh, there's not really any continuity between any of the episodes other than the characters all still know each other. It all takes place in the same town. And what what I really liked about the show is it was and I re- I recognized this as I was watching it. I laughed pretty hard at some of the episodes. I laughed really hard at certain things that happened in, in the episodes. Yeah. And then the other parts, there were other parts that were like honestly kind of touching. And I yeah. feel like I feel like the show rode that line between so being well. Yeah, it rode that line between being an absurdist comedy. And being like, like beyond absurdist, yeah, and then being like a teen drama where you're just like, you know, it it, it doesn't, it's not a um, or like there's a heartfelt something that didn't feel forced. Yeah, what's the name of that show from Canada? Uh, the one about the high school. Drake was in it. Degrassi. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it wasn't like, and I never watched Degrassi, but I assume that that was like a like a teenage sort of drama show. It was. Yeah, I've seen a bunch of Degrassi. So I have a friend it, of mine who's like hardcore into Degrassi. So. so it wasn't like Degrassi where it was a teen drama. And it wasn't like a cartoon that was, you know, it wasn't like Hey Dude that was just sort of like slapstick and stupid. It sort of rode that line where like you were meaningfully invested in the even like the side characters. You you wanted to know what yeah. was going on with them. And I, it's really a testament to the, the writing. Yeah, the writing team and really the actors too. Like, for like we we tend to we tend to crap on uh, on young actors because they tend to not they be do that great. They do a really good job in this show. Yeah, the, all even the, the side ones, the side characters. They their casting was awesome. Yeah, it really was, and I like. I, so so I think what exemplifies what you're trying to talk about. I thought the the moment that you said it was the feel the Pete episode, the other episode that I picked. So, yes. So the feel. So the, a quick synopsis. I, I'm no reading, just off a of brain. The sort of quick synopsis is the Pete's play baseball. Well, the older Pete plays baseball. Loves baseball. Loves baseball. Like loves, loves baseball. Plays baseball. And he and his team are kind of going through the season. And And they suck. They suck, suck, suck. His original team, or at least that's what Pete says, is that he's used to being on terrible teams and always losing. And then all of a sudden he ends up on a good team with this, this... super hardcore coach and the team starts doing really really well and what happened was they started doing really well because 
their coach bought them this slushy called the Orange Lazarus. Yeah. That is like the height of tastiness, but also of frosty brain freeze that puts them in this weird, like trance. media trance yeah. stupor that makes them hyper amazing at everything. Mm-hmm. But then they share straws, which gets them all sick. And now, now they're terrible again. So they bring on the younger Pete, who is the king of trash talk. So he would just come out and trash talk and mention obscure things from these kids' childhoods that would destroy them. And th- that's how they would win. And so the whole show, like, it's very absurdist. And, like, the the Orange Lazarus machine has, like, nuclear reactor symbols on yeah. it. And it's, like, it's totally and the, ridiculous. And the guy, the, the guy who created Orange Lazarus, he's like... It's I, a force for good. Yeah, it's I a cre- force for evil. I created this to be a force of good, but it's only a force of evil. And, and all I want is world peace and all this stuff. And, and so there's all of this absurdist stuff. But at the same time, older Pete is struggling with, do I want to win at the cost of the love and enjoyment and the purity of the game that he feels for baseball, because he feels like if the only way to win is to have his brother trash talk, the other team, is it worth it? Yeah. It's not really baseball. Is it baseball anymore? And it's that struggle of, is it worth it to win at all costs? Yeah. Even if it means destroying the thing that you're trying to win. Yeah. Do the ends justify the means? Right. And so, which sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But but it's that like internal struggle, and that plays out. And you're like, holy, sh- like holy crap! This is like a really deep philosophical conversation that this character is going through, while at the same time the absurdity of the orange Lazarus. And then they they hyper cool it, and they give everybody like awful brain freeze, and yeah. it like destroys their brains, and it's. It's totally ridiculous. Well, that's that's what's cool. But smart. That's what's cool about the show is that they, like you said, they they take meaningful lessons and they they package them in sort of this absurdist ab- humor. Yeah, like in the King of the Road episode. Yes. The 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 point of that episode is that they were a family and they needed to stick together, and they did that by helping their dad beat this other guy, you know, stack more stuff on the roof. Which was the most absurd, dangerous thing I've ever seen. That on the road, the two dads on the road while driving on the highway, get out, have their wives hold the wheel. They climb out of their car and stack stuff on top of the roof because whoever can get the highest stack is, is is the king of the road. Yeah, and then in the episode, the time travel episode, the point of that whole episode is is uh, to, I, I want to say that it's to remember your obligations because the whole point of that episode was that every year when Daylight Savings Times ends and they you draw, you go back an hour, that the two Pete's would, Think that they time travel. Well, they think that they time travel and they, they each year they go and they do something momentous to celebrate the fact that they're traveling in time. They go together and do something memorable. And, or crazy. Or, or crazy yeah. or just do something, yeah. the, the two of them. And... In the episode that we watched during this time travel, uh, Big Pete forgets and he instead goes on a, this is the episode where he goes on a date with Ellen and that, that really irks little Pete because he feels like he's been abandoned and forgotten. So he goes with Nona and tries to do something memorable and ends up. Well, his whole memorable thing that he wanted to do anyways was destroy Endless Mike. Yeah. They wanted to humiliate him and destroy him because he's a big bully. Yeah. And he he uses that moment. That, that moment is used as a teaching moment for Big Pete because Big Pete has ruined his date because he tries to follow all the advice of Endless Mike, who is 
super creepy. Yeah. Like way like raper creepy. Yeah. And, and so older Pete tries to follow his advice and it destroys the date. And now pisses it's, Ellen off. Yeah. Pisses Ellen off and she takes off and, and young Pete, uh, uses that moment uh, at the drive-in over the loudspeaker to tell him, like, "Hey, you today is is the time travel you day. You still basically. have an hour. You still have an hour. Use that to do something, basically, to right a wrong. Exactly. And so then it's that that teaches him a lesson. And so it's more. I the lesson I got wasn't so much like." keep to your obligations so much as a seize the moment. Yeah. Don't try to be something that you're not. Yeah. Be yourself and be true to yourself and treat every moment as it's last. Yeah. Because you can't time travel. And really they didn't time travel. The whole thing is they just got an extra hour of the day. Yeah, exactly. And so that's what I felt like the moral that episode was. And there's a moral in like every single one of these. But it's, it's not something that they bash you over the head. No. And if, Man, it's done so well. Yeah. It's done so well. And I think, honestly, that is why... Uh, on, I, I think that this show holds up really well for being a 30, almost 30-year-old 30 show. It holds up in a way... So, because we talked about this on Salute Your Shorts and Hey Dude. Because, you know, we're kind of in this run, mm-hmm. right? Hey Dude doesn't hold up at all. No. Whatsoever. Salute Your Shorts holds up really well but in some ways it doesn't because kids aren't allowed to explore and to be free because their parents parents are terrible now. Mm-hmm. But this holds up in a way that Salute Your Shorts doesn't because um, it's it's a sort of like almost the kids exist in a time without time. Yeah, you know, like like Endless Mike's car is it's like a 1960s Mustang, so it's like you never quite know when does the show take it's, it's place. It's sort of like it's sort of like Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah, where you don't yeah. you don't know when Calvin and Hobbes takes place because it could it could be taking place in like the 80s or 90s, and they just live out in the middle of nowhere. It could have been the 50s. It, it could, could be yeah. now. Yeah, exactly. So, that I I think that. They were really smart with how they did it. They were really smart with who they chose as the as the as the child actors. They were really smart with the the writing and the stories that they told because they were able to weave these lessons and these morals and these actually meaningful lessons that you get out of Pete and Pete that are accompanied with you know scenes that make you laugh and make you think and and some of the stuff that's like absurd also makes you think because so as a side note every product shown in this show everything from the slushing machine to the baseball bats deodorant to the deodorant is all made by Krebstar which is some like fake company and like they have Lady Krebs stick deodorant Kreb and up soda Kreb Zeppelin the world famous rock star and, yeah and like it's a like, board game Kreb to go and Kreb yeah Kreb and their car is a Kreb Relay yeah it, it's like uh, it's like from Rocco's Modern Life everything was conglomo but it's a sort of if you think about it it's a sort of like meta analysis of like large corporate. America taking over like sort of everything. Town. Yeah. in a small town. And, and I'm, like when you think about it within that meta, it's really smart, but like it, on a surface, it's just absurdity. Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't know, man, th- this show is just, I think the show is too, it, like I was, as I was watching it, I was trying to think of who the show was directed at initially because I feel like the audience, the, the, the right audience for that show 
would probably be your like 12 to, to 15. I think I was thinking like 12 to, well, maybe eight because there are younger kids, but yeah, like, like it's a wide range of younger to 15, 16 years yeah. old because it, it, well, it think dr- about it in 1991 when the show started, we were eight years old Yeah, and we loved the show when it was on. Yeah. I, I saw the first episode when it aired. Yeah. And I continued to watch the show, but you know, it, it's a, I think it really, I think it's a real testament to the, to the writing and to the show itself that it was able to usually shows are pigeonholed in very small, like when it's for kids, the show is pigeonholed into a very small age range. Like this is your four to six year olds and the, this is your like 12 to 13 year olds or whatever. I really do feel like this show spans a couple of those brackets and yeah, it goes from eight to 15 or 16 yeah because that's the that's the age range of the shows and it's not something where you know normally when you have a normally when you have a show where there's a younger sibling that younger sibling is usually viewed as like annoying or a a pest this one he was great yeah he he was hilarious he was great and he was he was best friends with his older brother which is I mean, everyone who has a younger brother, usually that works out sometimes when you're close in age. Like, how close are you and Nick in uh, age? You're uh, like eight years. Eight years, yeah. So that's so, that's pretty far. That's pretty far. Now, my brother and I, we're two years apart. So we're probably closer in, in the age, you know. Yeah. I, I, the, what I picked up on is that these characters are probably about four years apart. Yeah. So my brother and I were two years apart. And when we were little, little, like elementary school, like mm-hmm. inseparable, we were super close. We did everything together and and that stayed rather consistent until about junior high school when you know you kind of go off and do your own thing when you start getting cool yeah you get cool and then around high school when he got to high school age and i was in college we kind of came back together again and we were we got close again that adolescence is a killer it's a killer for everybody man i would never want to relive junior high that's the worst age possible and i'm not excited to raise a a junior higher (laughs) and a girl oh i know but the worst. But you know their their relationship as brothers actually re- reminded me of my brother and me because we're closer in age and we were close and we were friends and we did everything we did adventures and you know I mean we 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 created you know homemade flashlights for our for helmets and we crawl through sewers and I mean we just did all kinds of crazy had stuff. your own adventures yeah we had our own adventures and so I I kind of related to this as a kid. So it actually, in many ways, it brought me back to that. Nice. So, which is kind of fun. Did uh, Did you show Eleanor the show? I showed her one episode because I didn't honestly I didn't end up with the time to show her the whole thing, and she she liked it, but I feel like she's too young to get. Yeah, it. she's four and a half, so she's too she, young. Yeah, she's not the age range that I think the yeah. show was directed at. But you know, oddly enough, Salute Your Shorts, which is I think in the same age category as this show, she enjoyed Salute Your Shorts. Yeah, because I think it's a it was less about like the deeper. There was less deeper philosophical like relationship stuff, yeah. and it was just more absurdist, like fun, like camp stuff. Yeah. So I think she kind of related more to one than the other. Now, but do you do you think this kind of show would work again? Yeah, I totally do. I do too. And Actually, you know, I feel like this show would just work, just like just re, just clean up the film and show it again. Well, I was going to ask you because you're more you're more familiar with uh, with modern kid shows because you have a daughter, but do you do you know of any shows that are sort of in this same vein that are that are really there's meaningful a, there's but, oh that are meaningful no but that, there's a bunch of kid shows now that are on sort of in the vein of like um so remember how we talked about 
how Nick wanted Nickelodeon wanted to move Salucha Shorts to Florida to film in a studio. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like now. Is there's these show like in fact I think there's a show that's essentially Salucha Shorts in a studio, hmm. and I don't remember what it's called. But I watched an episode of it not that long ago, just because I was like back before I, I canceled my cable, and it was not good, like at all good. But it's these shows like Hannah Montana and, you know, iCarly and like, and these kinds of shows. And I don't think that they approach, I don't think that they approach their audience in a way that is respecting of their audience. Respecting like their intelligence and their thinking. Yeah. Yeah. That these, like children are just, children are people too. They just have less experience in the world. Yeah. And, and, it's the same argument. It's the same problem that I have when and this is me being on an old man soapbox. But this is the same argument that I have when older people will say these comments like kids these days, or or like you know you haven't lived this, so therefore I don't want to hear about it. You like when people say, "Oh, you're a kid, and you can't, you shouldn't have a voice on this subject." Mm-hmm. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. Anybody can have a voice on anything. It may it may be ill informed. But they have a right to their opinion. And I think that, that when you sort of dumb down these these shows like this, it sort of takes away from their opportunity to have these kinds of more in-depth, meaningful well, yeah, processes. I, I agree because you know? I, I feel like children rise to whatever level that you put them at. A hundred percent. So if you, if you yeah. talk to them like they're stupid... They're going to act stupid. Yeah. If you talk to them like they're little adults, then they're probably going to start acting like little yeah. adults. They'll have emotional issues because it's like my kid. You know, I don't really treat her like like a little derpy kid. I treat her like a person who has less experience that needs to be taken care of because they're going to hurt themselves. Yeah. But I talk to her like, you know, I've never used baby voice ever. And that's why she can talk to me like an adult kid. Yeah. Because she is treated as such. And and I think this show treats its audience in a more mature fashion than the shows of today. And I really wish that there was more stuff on TV today for kids that was like this. So whether they they brushed this up and just repackaged it and put it back on again, or if they redid it in a different way, or just a show that was like this. Yeah, more shows more shows today could probably learn from Pete and Pete to, sh- to show how you address younger people in a more meaningful and critical way yeah. to, to get points across that, you know, it, it's almost like a, like a case study in how to write a good children's it's show. It's the perfect case study in how to write a good kid show. Like there are people who have said that it's like one of the best kids shows ever. Uh, there's a, there's a, a quote here from the LA TV critic, Robert Lloyd, that said this about the show. By rendering the ordinary events of childhood and adolescence, staying up late, hating shop class, discovering music, ruining the end of summer, as the epic stuff of legend, the series captures the actual depth and intensity of feeling that comes with being young, poignant without being sentimental, oddball but never merely just weird. The show was made to be funny, sad, strange, and beautiful. Yeah, I think it's really, perfect. Yeah, that is the perfect quote for this yeah perfect quote i i agree a hundred percent yeah and that's probably where we should end it right there i think so too um uh, go out and watch pete and pete if you can find there's dvds out there of it i'm sure you could find it online if you really wanted to 
it's yeah. worth it's worth a watch. They're 24 minute episodes and it's you'll find if you watched the show when you were younger, you'll find yourself going back to that early time in the 90s where everything was a little simpler. Yeah. And if you were a if you were a little too old for the show because we have listeners who are old a bit older than us, I would definitely recommend this too. Go back and watch it cuz I'm 35 and I'm watching a show for for 8 to 15 year olds and it was still good. And it was still good. Yeah. So go back and watch it. It's good. It's good television. So uh if you want to talk about this episode, if you want to talk about Pete and Pete and how much you loved it or hated it, uh, you can always go to our website childhoodremastered.com and check out all of our social media links there. You can talk to us on Facebook and Twitter and and send us an email or send us a voicemail or whatever you need to do and uh, let us know what you think. Send us a request. Do whatever you want. Comments, uh, concerns, complaints, criticisms. Well, yeah, we'll critiques. take it all. Yeah, it's all it's all good. Uh, we're part of a uh, podcast network called ACPN. The, ACPNet.net. Yep, there's a bunch of great shows on there uh, that you can check out on their website. Uh, there's review shows. There's nostalgia shows. There is uh, interview shows. There's all kinds of stuff that you can check out on ACPN. And of course our intro music. Yeah. Our intro music is, uh, the song nascent. It's by John Howarth. You can check out a link to his uh, SoundCloud. He's got a lot. I was actually listening the other day because, uh, in case you haven't noticed, I added a little extra to the intro. Um, so, uh, I've been listening to a lot of his music. It's really good. Uh, he sings on some of the, some of the, uh, tracks and he just composes the music on a couple of the other ones. So check him out. It's really good stuff. And uh, that's probably going to do it. Yep, that's it this week. Pete and Pete, go out and watch it. And uh, until next time, this is Sean. And Chris. And this has been your Childhood Remastered. We will see you next time.